Good morning, church. Good morning. So, my name is Doug McGeehee. I'm actually a member of this church, um, believe it or not. You may not see me very much. I spend a lot of time working overseas, but uh, you probably know my wife, Natalie, and my daughter, Allison. They're both members here. Uh, my daughter, my oldest daughter, Erin Red, is a member of First Baptist. Our son, Brendan, his wife, Carrie, and our grandson, Gideon, they go to church in the woodlands. So, I'm happy to be here, happy to get a chance to, to uh, talk in my home church. Uh, as I mentioned, I spent a lot of time uh, I spent a lot of time overseas. Uh, last, most of the last six years I spent in Kazakhstan, and uh, currently I'm, I'm living in uh, Guyana, South America. So people ask me, I, I, I'm not a professional pastor. I work uh, in the oil and gas business and have for a long time. People ask me, well, you know, what, what's your background? So my background is uh, I, I have a degree in geophysics from Texas A&M University. Woo. Uh, I knew that. I could count on the ags. Uh, did an MBA at University of Florida. And then really more importantly, I've, I'm working on the turtle program uh, at Dallas Theological Seminary. I'm in a master's program there, master's of biblical studies. I say the turtle program because it's slow and steady. Uh, with, with my schedule and travel, I can only take about one class a semester, but it is amazing um, what God has taught me, and I was talking with someone else earlier. The other part is amazing is the more you learn, the more you realize how much you don't know. So it's also very humbling. Uh, I live in Guyana, South America right now. spend a lot of my time there. Where is, people go, where the heck's Guyana? So Guyana is between, uh, it's a small country, only has about 800,000 people. It's between Venezuela and Brazil. There's Guyana, Suriname, and, and French, French Guiana. It's an interesting country, very diverse, diverse culturally. About a third of the people there are from an African heritage. About a third of the people there, their heritage is from India. And about a third of the people are either native, the native Indians or a mixture of Portuguese and, and some other things. It's also a very spiritually diverse country because you have Christianity, you have Hinduism, uh, you have Islam, and then you have a mixture of some other things. And it's a small country, only 800,000 people. People ask me, what's it like to live there? Well, it's very interesting. Uh, it's also the only English-speaking country in South America. In fact, when you're there, they consider themselves more a part of the Caribbean, and they speak English with a Caribbean accent. So when you're there, you feel like you're, you really do feel like you're in the Caribbean. What's it like to live in a, in a, in a country like that? I think it's a lot of fun, very interesting. Uh, but I think I, I have a little story that I, maybe illustrates a little bit about what it's like to live there. So a friend of mine was sitting on his porch with his wife, having a drink, and, and they're just looking out over their, over their front yard, and there's a road. And in Guyana, especially in Georgetown, the capital, it's not uncommon to see animals running around. They're not freaked out like we are in Texas. We have to keep all our livestock behind a fence, right? They don't care. If you have nice grass in your area... You might have cows and horses just grazing right there. So this was the case. So my friend, they were watching this cow go up and down the road, watching the cow, wondering what the cow's doing. And all of a sudden, the cow became extremely agitated, started shaking its head, running back and forth. So they're watching this cow run back and forth across their street. The cow all of a sudden breaks into their yard, tramples through their landscaping, falls into their swimming pool, wallows around in the swimming pool, gets out, breaks some rocks, trashes the landscape, and manages to escape back into the street and run away. So my, my friend goes down there to the pool. He's looking at all the damage. And he's like, oh, my goodness. I, I guess I better, I better call the landlord. So 
goes back up to the house, gets on the phone, calls the landlord, explains to the landlord what happened. And the landlord says, oh, that is such a blessing. Because the landlord was from India. He's Hindu. He thought the cow falling in the pool was the greatest thing that could have ever happened to the house. So it just goes to show you that it depends on your perspective. What you may see as a bad thing, somebody else might count as a blessing. So just keep that in mind as we're going through. Uh, the topic that I want to talk about is more serious. It's, uh, we're going to take a break from the study you guys have been doing in the book of Mark. We're going to talk a little bit about today about evil and suffering and a little a bit, biblical perspective of that. So one of the things I told, I told you, I, I get to travel a lot with my job, and that's awesome. I love to travel. I get to see a lot of cool things. I get to see in different countries God's hand, certainly, at work, God's people at work, and that's really a blessing. It's a great thing. Unfortunately, I also get to see suffering and evil and see how, <coughs> how Satan is working in these places as well. And when we look at, when we think about that ourselves today, we think about even in our own town in Texas or even in Cyprus, we think about the things that we see on the news every day, especially over the last few months. Uh, you know, it's, it's terrorism, hate crimes, sex trafficking, abuse of all kinds, hunger, you name it. Lots of, a lot of things that we see out there are very, very negative. And we, as Christians, we ask ourselves, you know, how, how can God let this happen? Does he, why? Does God not care? I think the answer is, yes, of course. Of course he cares. And, and I'm going to unpack that just a little bit. And what we're grappling with when we ask that question, it's a classic theological question, really. It's called the problem of evil. And so we'll talk about that a little bit. When you talk about the problem of evil, the first thing you have to ask yourself, because we know that God created the universe, right? He's the creator of everything. He's in control of everything. So did, did God create evil? Did he create it? It's there. We know it's there. We know evil and suffering is there. Did he create it? I think the answer is no. No, God didn't create evil. And there's a lot of different verses we can look at. I've got a couple here. In Psalms, I'd like to just, uh, Psalm 119.68, if you want to flip to that. Uh, it says that God is good and what he does is good. And all, likewise, Psalm 105, the Lord is good. And you can, there's hundreds of verses you can look at. I think it's clear to all of us that God is good. Everything he does is good. If he's good, everything he does is good. He cannot be the creator of evil. But he must allow it because he's God. So if God allows evil and suffering, then he must have a purpose for it. So what is that purpose? I'll be honest. I don't think we can ever know. And I'll, I'll, I'll show you some, a few verses with some possible purposes. But I really, deeply down, I don't think we know exactly. We may never know what God's purpose is why he allows suffering and evil. There are a couple things. So what I'd like to do in the next few minutes is, is talk about some what I think are some general things that you can look at in Scripture and you can look at as possible purposes for allowing suffering and evil. And then we're going to talk about what our response should be. And that's really the important part. So God may allow suffering in our lives, suffering or hardship or evil in our lives, 
uh, to make us rely on him more. You know, when you just think about your lives, think about the things that have happened to you so far. When you go through hard times, what usually happens, you do, usually do rely on God more. And a verse to illustrate that is 2 Corinthians 1.9. If, if those of you want to turn there. It says, indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raised the dead. So that's one possible. Another possibility is so that we are able to comfort others. There's a verse I'll use here. It's 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. It says, the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. So what kind of credibility do you have if you're, if you're trying to help out a brother or sister who's going through a tough time if you have not been through a tough time yourself? If you think about the times that you've been most effective in helping other people, it's usually because you've been through the same thing that they've been through, and you can kind of show them the light at the end of the tunnel. That could be, I mean, that's a possible reason why God allowed you to go through that. Don't know for sure, but it's a possibility. Another possible reason is that so we can grow and mature. And I think James talks about this in, in James 1, 2 to 4. And I think everybody's familiar with this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That could also be a reason why God allows you to go through tough times. Another one is discipline. This one, this one I, I really want to be careful with. I, I use Hebrews 12, 7 here. Endure hardship is discipline. God is treating you as sons. I think this, we have to be careful. This could be misused. I don't think you can say, well, because you're going through hard times, you must have done something wrong. God's disciplining you. I really, most of the times, I don't think that's the case. I think it's a possibility in some cases, that might be true, but you can't, you can't just blanket say this is true every time. So we have to be really careful with this one. Paul talks about an example of what God allows suffering in his own life. Paul talks about the thorn in his side to keep him from being, to keep him humble, to keep him from being conceited. In, in, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, it said, this is Paul talking. He says, To keep me from becoming too conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. So Paul had, we don't know what that thorn in his side was. He never really talks about it specifically, but there was something there caused him some suffering, and he felt like that was God helping to keep him humble. Okay. Talked about some possible purposes. I, I told you up front, I really don't think we can know what God's purpose is in every instance of, of evil and suffering that we see. But I put to you that it really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. What matters is how we respond to it, okay, when we're going through this. So let's talk about responses. And I'm going to do this in two different, two parts. I'm going to talk about some very general responses we can have as Christians. And then I'm going to hit on four very, very core applicable responses that I think we can have. And that's, those are the four things that I want you to walk away with today. But let's talk about some general things first. One natural response that we have when we go through tough times is to ask why. 
Why God? Why me? Why now? Why this? Why? And people sometimes say to you, oh, you should never question God. I think it's perfectly fine when you're going through tough times to ask God why. Now, he may not answer you, but if you look at the Bible, especially in the book of Psalms, the psalmist, there's a lot of, a lot of the psalms are why God, how God, why God. I, I have one here, just one example, Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? So it's perfectly, perfectly fine to ask God. He may not give you the answer, but I think it's perfectly fine to say why, why. Another perfect legitimate response when we're facing tough times, especially uh, loss of loved ones or, or things that are sad, is, is it perfectly fine to mourn. You know, people say, well, you know, he's in a better place. You should be happy for him. And maybe that's great, but, but I think it's perfectly okay to mourn. Look, at, look what happened. What did Jesus do when he found out Lazarus was dead? He wept. It's perfectly fine to mourn and be sad when, when bad things happen and, and to go, uh, go to your brother and sisters and mourn with them as well. If you look at the Romans, uh, Romans 12, 15 captures this idea. It says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. It's appropriate response. Another appropriate response is to seek God for comfort. That's the obvious one. God's our comfort. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. It's also okay to seek other brothers and sisters for comfort. God uses them in our lives. That's a perfectly legitimate response when you're going through tough times. The, most, uh, the one you hear the most about is, you know, hang in there. Persevere. Endure, you know, God's building character. And that is actually an appropriate response to never give up when you're going through tough times. But, and this is one I struggle with too, but the reason you do that shouldn't be your own stubbornness and your own self-will. The reason you should persevere and endure is because of your faith and hope in God, not your own, your faith in yourself and your ability to withstand hard times. Hope and I'm going to talk about hope a little bit more, but that's, that's obviously a very important response when we're going through tough times. Uh, Hebrews 10.23 captures it really well. It says, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for who promised is faithful, because we have our eternal hope in God. The final general response I want to talk about is prayer. Really and truly, Really and truly, prayer should be our first response when we're going through tough times or when we see evil or suffering. We should pray to God, God, help me understand why this is happening, uh, if you can. God, give me your peace. God, give me your patience. God, give me your joy. God, give me your comfort. We should pray. That should be our first response. Now, so what I've done is just highlighted a few things that you can see in Scripture which I would call general responses that we can have uh, when we're facing tough times, evil, and suffering. Now I want to hammer in on four things that I think we can take to heart and apply. So the first one, we know that God is all-powerful. He's all-present. He's, all, he's a loving God. He's everywhere. He knows everything. He's God. So I think we need to acknowledge that, that God is in control. When we see things that we don't understand, when we see things that are 
how could God let that happen? We need to acknowledge, God, you're, you're all-powerful. You are in control. That's one. The second thing I think we need to acknowledge and assert, even, is that God doesn't make mistakes. What do I mean by that? If God allows these things to happen, and we, maybe we don't understand, but there's a purpose for it. We may not understand the purpose. God doesn't make mistakes. He's in control. He doesn't make mistakes. He's God. The third thing is trust. And I'm going to use an example here from, from the book of Job. If you know the story of Job, in the, in the book of Job, God allowed Satan to mess with Job. Job uh, lost most of his family. He lost uh, all of his wealth. He lost his health. And all of his friends came and gave him terrible advice and told him, you know, uh, try, they were very patronizing to him while he was going through this really, really tough time. He went through this really tough time, and at the end he asked God, God, why, why, why did you do this to me? God said, I'm not going to tell you. You have to trust me. And I think when I read the book of Job, and, I, and if I had to say, what's the message of the book of Job? The message of the book of Job is trust me, trust God. Even when we don't, especially when we don't understand his purpose, we have to trust him. So we acknowledge God is in control, even when things look crazy. Acknowledge God doesn't make mistakes, and then we have to trust him in, no matter what, and especially when we don't understand his purpose. But I think there's, those are the three things. There's still something missing what's missing. So we can know, we can acknowledge those things to ourselves when we see situations that we don't understand, when we see bad things happening. But there's something still missing because we can still feel some lack of security, some lack of discomfort about the future. So I think we do need to look a little bit at the future. That's the fourth thing. The book of Revelations is God's revealing to us now What's, what can happen in the future. So we're going to look at, I want to delve into a couple things in the book of Revelations. People say, ooh, Revelations. But, but I do want to talk about that. But first, I want to tell a story because uh, I think it's relevant to the, to the next step here. And I was, uh, years ago, probably 10 years ago, I was in this energy conference, and it was a U.S.-Mexico energy conference. It was talking about cross-border energy support, energy response and uh, I was there at the table, discussion. So I had, at the table, I had my name, the name of my company, my title. And the main speaker at, at, that, at this particular conference was then Governor Rick Perry. You may know Rick Perry's an Aggie, too, so just FYI. Um, Rick did a great job, or Governor Perry did a great job. He gave a, a really good speech. And then he took questions from all the panel members. We asked questions. He answered them well. And then he let the media come in. And this is in Monterey, Mexico, and the media swarmed him. They absolutely swarmed him. Microphones, cameras, everybody asking questions, Spanish, English. And Governor Perry did a really, I thought he did a really excellent job of answering the questions, taking on the challenges. And after about 20 minutes, he looks up, he points to me, and he says, I need to talk to you. And he goes like this. So I'm, I, I was standing there watching, sitting there watching all this happen. I stand up. I go walk over with Governor Perry, and he pulls me aside. He goes, hey, hey, thanks a lot. He goes, I saw your Aggie ring. And, and he said, he said uh, you know, look, uh, 
this see, because you've been watching this, this is tough. He goes, I just need a break. Uh, <laughs> and so the, the TV camera, I mean, the cameras are all on us, and even in the headlines the next day said something like, uh, Big Oil and the governor of Texas collude on, you know, U.S.-Mexico energy policy. <laughs> Uh, we were actually talking, it was in the summertime, so we were actually talking about Aggie baseball. You know, Aggies had just made the playoffs. What are our chances of making the World College World Series? You know, we talked about the terrible defense on football. We talked about the quarterback controversy. We talked for 15 or 20 minutes. And then, you know, at the end he says, hey, thanks a lot. Look, I needed that break. Thanks a lot. And went back and, and did the rest of the press conference. So... The reason I tell that story, one, was to, to, to break the seriousness for just a minute. But, but the, the, I have a purpose in this, because why did he do that? He needed a break. He needed some comfort. He needed a little bit of peace. He looked in the crowd. He saw something he could relate to. He knew we were on the same team. We had the same ideals to the most part. He could trust me uh, that he could have a conversation and get away from all this, all, all this uh, chaos that he was looking at. So let me relate that back now and get back on track to Revelations. Why is that important? We talk about, you know, the Aggies aren't always a very winning team. But if you, as a Christian, if you're a Christian, and Jesus is your Savior, you are on the winningest of winning teams. Because when we look at the book of Revelations, the book of Revelations, if you have to say, what is the theme of Revelation. The theme is that Jesus wins. Jesus wins. He wins over everything, but it's certainly he wins over evil and, and suffering. So I want to show a couple, talk about a couple of verses there. We, we went through one of those already, uh, Philippians 2, 10 through 11. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee, every, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So the main argument then when we go to the end of times and go to the revelations and we look at the revelations 21.4, I love this verse. And if you haven't read this verse before, you need to write it down. It's a great verse. Revelations 21.4, and this is talking about what Jesus will do. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old things have passed away. He wins. He wins in the end. So we have these four things. God is in control. God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes. We have to trust him no matter what, especially, really especially when it's not clear what his purpose is. And we have eternal hope. And Jesus, we know that Jesus wins, and we're on, if you're a Christian and you, he's your Savior, you're on the winning team. So then we can take, knowing those things, we can, we can take comfort in verses like Romans 8, 28, that says, you know, and we know that all things work together for the good to those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So, we live in a broken world. When God created this world, he created us to be in perfect harmony and fellowship with him, right? That's, how, that's what he wanted us to do. That's what he created us for. And what happened? We blew it. Garden of Eden, original sin. 
When Adam and Eve fell, it created a gap between God and man. There was perfect fellowship before there was a gap. Men have, throughout history, have tried desperately to close that gap. You know, we made covenants with God or God made covenants with people. Uh, We broke the covenants every time. God established a very complicated series of sacrifices in the tabernacle, in the book of the law, and a whole series of complicated things to try to bridge that gap. But it was all to, everything was always temporary, right? It, nothing was ever sustainable until what? Until the Word became flesh, God became flesh. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So Jesus, this is important, He emptied Himself. He was God. He emptied Himself so that He be, could become human, so that He could understand how we feel. He was human. He understands what it's like to be cold, what it's like to be hungry, what it's like to be thirsty, what it's like to go through suffering, what it's like to go through a hard time, what it's like to lose a loved one. He's human. He was human. He knows. He knows what it's like. He became man for us. He suffered and died for our sakes. You know that. He took our sins upon himself, and he's our Savior, and he is the way and the truth and the life. And even more importantly, he's our eternal hope because he wins in the end. No matter all the stuff you see around you today, someday every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. He wins. He wins. And if you're on the team, you win too. I mentioned when we acknowledge all these things, we can also know that nothing can ever separate us from God. If you're, if you're in Christ... Jesus is your Savior. Nothing can separate. And, and Paul says that really well in Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So in spite of all the evil and suffering that exists in the world today, as Christians we can know God is in control. God doesn't make mistakes. We have to trust him no matter what, especially when we don't understand his purpose. And then put our hope in Jesus because Jesus wins and he is our eternal hope. So with that, let's let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you for the Old Testament and for the New Testament. Father, you, you, you show us the story of your people, how, how they, they tried to bridge the gap, and nothing, nothing could bridge it until Jesus. We, we don't understand, Father. We, we don't understand evil and suffering sometimes. But God, we acknowledge that, that you're in control, that you care, and that you have a purpose. We may not understand it, but we trust you, and we thank you that you sent Jesus. And we can have him as our eternal hope. Father, I pray for the people in this room that if anyone is not sure they're on the winning team, not sure that Jesus is a Savior, that they would come up during the prayer time and, and ask somebody to, to, to help them understand it. And, and I also pray for the folks out there that are hurting and maybe going through suffering, going through hard times. Father, that they too would come up here during the time of prayer and, and share that with somebody. And God, we just acknowledge that you're You're in control. You don't make mistakes. We trust you, and we thank you for Jesus. In Jesus' name.